Thank you for joining us for another life-giving message from City Church Now in Progress. Uh, Our anchor text for this series is lifted from Mark chapter 8. I believe there's more for us to to, to understand from that passage. That's where we started last week. And we're going to go back to Mark chapter 8 as our jump off point this morning. We'll go quickly through that passage. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark, uh, the eighth chapter. I will be reading from the New King James translation of that that passage. And uh, we will also have that on the screens for you to follow along. Amen. Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 22. The scripture says, Then he, Jesus, came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. I love that. That Jesus took the blind man by hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And when he looked up, his eyesight was restored and saw everyone clearly. And then he sent him his way and said to him, neither go into town nor tell anyone in the town. Uh, Remember we said last week that God does his best work in isolation. Notice, and I'm not going to revisit everything I said last week, but notice that they bring the blind man to Jesus. Jesus doesn't pray for him in Bethsaida, but Jesus leads the blind man out of Bethsaida into a solitary place, into a private place, and there ministers to him. Because the pattern we see throughout all of scripture is that God does his best work in isolation. Newsflash, if you find yourself in a season of aloneness, it may be something that you should rest in, not resist or resent. Because it may be God who brought you into this season of aloneness, into this season of isolation, because that's where he does his best work, in obscurity. So begin to rest in it, don't resist it or resent it. Most of us, when we find ourselves in these seasons of isolation, we, we, we lose sight of the fact, or we don't even realize, that this isolation is really God's insulation where he insulates us from anything and everything that could contaminate or pollute what he's doing in this season, including the friends who brought you to Jesus. Because what God desires to do in your life must be done with God alone. The cutting and the surgery is too delicate. It's too precise for any other opinions and any other intervention. So God brings the man, or Jesus brings the man out of Bethsaida into a new and an unfamiliar environment. And there God begins to work and God begins to minister in that place of isolation. Last week, we talked briefly about what God does in isolation and in that place of obscurity, how he begins, to, he begins to confirm our unique calling. He begins to develop our character. 
He begins to develop our competence and he begins to develop our conditioning for where he's taking us. And the season of isolation is really about God's mercy and God's grace not revealing us to the world beforehand or prematurely. Therefore, we ought to allow this season of isolation to run its course. I feel, though, this morning that there are some who are not just resistant, but there are some who are restless in their waiting. Because in our seasons of isolation and in our seasons of aloneness, we still get to see everybody else's progress. And one of the reasons we get restless is we begin to question why we're still stuck right where we are. And we begin to measure our lives against everybody else's progress and against everybody else's pace. And so this morning, the Lord sent me with a simple assignment to help you see what he's doing right now in this season so that it's not something you resist or resent and it's not a time that you grow restless, but it's truly, again, may I say, a time when you enter rest and rest in what he's doing in this season. And as you do, your life and what you're walking through will make a whole lot more sense. So let's go to Psalm 37 and verse 1. Psalm 37 and verse 1. What to do while you wait? Here it is, Psalm 37, beginning at verse number 1. If you're there, say amen. If you're not there, say oh me. All right, a couple of y'all. Struggling. All right, here we go. Verse number one. He says, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. You know what the psalmist is addressing? The psalmist is addressing the anxiety that we often feel when it seems like everybody's getting ahead and I'm stuck. And the psalmist says, plainly and clearly, don't fret. Don't grow anxious. When you see everybody, when it seems like God is doing it for everybody but you. He says, resist the urge to compare where you are with what everybody else is doing in your season of isolation. Because my pace with you is not the same as my pace with them. And what I'm preparing you for requires a little bit more attention, requires a little bit more development than what I have planned for them. Are y'all with me? There are some things in life that just take time. And he says the first thing you got to do if you're going to deal with your restlessness in this season of aloneness, this season of isolation, this season of obscurity, is don't fret when you see everybody else seemingly ahead of you and you feel stuck. It's one of the things I did tell track athletes. They only tell them, stay in your lane, 
But they tell them, don't look to your left. Don't look to your right. Because the moment you do, you begin to lose momentum. You begin to lose acceleration. Just one look can change the outcome of your race. So in isolation, the Lord still allows us to get a glimpse of what he's doing around us. He gives us a 360-degree panoramic view, and then he still says, just stay steady as I develop Christ-like character in you. So how do I manage this anxiety that I'm feeling like, Lord, when will it happen for me? I know your word says you're no respecter of persons, but what about me, Lord? You're doing it for everybody else, but what about me? But notice what he says. This is how we navigate those seasons of isolation and insulation. Again, this is how we begin to develop 2020 vision. Remember we talked about it. Part of the struggle is some of us have, we're too far-sighted that we can't appreciate what God is doing now because we're so fixated on what we hope God would do next that we lose sight of what God is doing right now in this season of isolation because we're fixated on what everybody else has and where everybody else is. Notice what Jesus said our response should be. Psalm 37 and verse 3. He says, while you wait, trust in the Lord and do good. Let me tell you again, let me reiterate why Jesus brought this man out of Bethsaida. Jesus brought this man out of Bethsaida because, Bethsaida because in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus rebukes not just uh, Bethsaida, but another town called Chorazim. And he said, if the miracles which were done in Bethsaida and Chorazim were done in the entire in Sidon, these cities would have believed, but you were unrepentant, unresponsive, you were indifferent to the move of God. So Jesus wouldn't do another miracle in Bethsaida, so he changes this man's environment. He brings him out of Bethsaida into a solitary place, which is what he's doing in many of our lives. He's changing and shifting our environments so that he can do something unique. But notice what he says. Even while you're waiting on God, don't just trust him when you can't trace him. He says, do good while you wait. Most of us in our dry seasons withhold the best part of who we, who we are and what we have to offer. We're so, uh, what's the word? Maybe confused. We're so uncertain. We're so disappointed that we stop doing what we know to do. We stop doing good and we become withholders in our seasons of isolation. And part of the reason, part of the reason that he has to, to deal with us in isolation is because he doesn't want to, our hearts to harden because that's what happens in Bethsaida. Bethsaida is the place where our hearts grow hard and grow brittle. And so he wants to bring us out of that place so that he can begin to do a new work and begin to form and fashion our hearts again. He says, while you wait, Trust me, even when you can't trace me. That's one of the toughest lessons to learn, that somehow in this place of isolation that God is working for my good. And he is. And to continue to do good while I wait. 
Notice the psalmist goes on. He says, dwell in the land. Notice what it says, feed on his faithfulness. Make the faithfulness of God your daily diet. That if he did it before, he's going to do it again. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So in your seasons of isolation, when it seems like God is silent, I need to trust him, I need to do good, and the third thing I do is I feed on his faithfulness. That he's never left me, he's never forsaken me, and he won't do it now. And then it goes on to verse 4. Oh, this is good. This is good. I don't only trust in the Lord and do good. I'm not only supposed to feed on his faithfulness, but notice what the scripture says in verse 4. It says, delight yourself also in the Lord. Here it is. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Begin to delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. That word delight in the Hebrew means Here it is, to become pliable, to bend toward, to incline oneself toward. Let me tell you something about Bethsaida. Bethsaida has a nasty tendency of causing us to lean away from God. Bethsaida has a way of causing us to blame God. And instead of leaning into God, and instead of being pliable in the hands of God, we become brittle. That's why I brought this Play-Doh here. In fact, I thought about this Play-Doh earlier in the week. And then uh, late last night, I looked at my beautiful wife. I said, do we have any Play-Doh in the house? To which she replied, no. But you could probably go grab some from Walmart. And I didn't want to go to Walmart because it was after 12. I said, oh, there's a Walgreens around the corner. And I might be able to get it from Walgreens. So this morning, at 6 o'clock, I went and found this Play-Doh. It was a pack of four. And I tried to play scientist with this pack of Play-Doh. Because I wanted to bring, I mean, this, this jar, container of Play-Doh. Uh, and it didn't work. Because I wanted to show you the effects of what happens when Play-Doh is exposed to the wrong environment. Because if I were to take this Play-Doh out and set it on this counter for a couple of days, does anybody know what would happen to this Play-Doh? It dries up and it hardens. It gets brittle. I tried to simulate the effects this morning by putting this Play-Doh in the oven. Because I had four, and I was like, man, I just need one to be real dry so I can show City Church what happens in Bethsaida. Because Bethsaida represents what life will do to you while you wait if you don't delight yourself in the Lord. And I tried to simulate it. I put it in the oven. I followed my beautiful wife's advice. I said, don't, don't turn it up too high. What was it, 180 degrees maybe? 170 degrees, and I had it there for about an hour, but it didn't, it didn't produce the desired effect. And I took it out of the oven, and I was disappointed. Let me tell you why I was disappointed. 
because I wanted y'all to see how brittle this Play-Doh would be. And what happens when our hearts become brittle in the hand of God? When God begins to try to mold us and to fashion us, stuff starts to break off. Stuff starts to fall off. And that's what the enemy wants to do when you find yourself in your seasons of isolation. That's why the Lord has to take us out of Bethsaida so that we can remain pliable in his hands. But even in my disappointment, the Lord taught me a lesson concerning my failed experiment. He says, Ray, the brittleness doesn't happen overnight. He says, you're trying to simulate something that happens over time and it's very subtle. You trying to produce these results of brittleness in a matter of an hour at 170 degrees. But he says, the reason so many of my people have brittle hearts is because it happens over time. And it happens very subtly. And that's why the Lord says, in this season of isolation, let my people know I haven't abandoned them. I haven't left them. The first thing they have to do is take their eyes and not begin to fret about what else is happening around them, but they need to trust me and they need to continue to do good. The way you keep your, head, your heart pliable in the hands of God is continue to do good when it seems like good ain't doing nothing for you. That's why he said in Galatians 6, continue, continue. Don't grow weary in well-doing because you will surely reap if you faint not. And the Lord says, delight yourself in the Lord. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to give you the desires of your heart. Remain pliable in the hands of the Lord. Be like Plato in the hands of the Lord. Allow him to take your hand. Allow him to lead you out of Bethsaida, even though you can't see where you're going. Remember, the man was still blind. And, 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 let him spit on your eyes. Let him do it his way. Embrace the discomfort. Embrace the uncertainty. And trust that God is at work in your life on your behalf and he is for you. So this word means to be pliable. To remain pliable in the hands of God. To bend toward. The best way I can illustrate it is simply this. Most people have taught this verse that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, then he will give us what we want. That's not what the verse is saying. The verse is saying when we delight ourselves in the Lord, when we make what's important to him important to us, then what he will do is he will implant his desires in our hearts. When we become pliable in the hands of God, when we become like Plato in his hands, what God does is we are so wrapped up in him that what he wants becomes what we want. He gives us the desires of our heart. And the reason so many of us struggle with tension is because we're asking God for things that are not a part of what he has planned for our lives. And he ain't going to bless it. He ain't going to endorse it. And that's why James said, he said, you have not because you ask not. And he said, even when you ask, you ask amiss. You ask in vain that you might spend it on your pleasures. 
your prayers, what you're asking for is self-centered. And that's why it hasn't manifested yet. But when you become pliable in my hands, all of a sudden, the way you think begins to change. What you desire begins to change because what I want becomes what you want. Are you hearing me? That's why he brings us out of Bethsaida. He brings us away from all the things that would ne negatively influence and impact us. I got to say this. Turn with me to James. Turn with me to James chapter 4, and this is where I close. James chapter 4. The Lord wants to give us 2020 vision so that we can begin to see the way he sees. Bethsaida is about, not Bethsaida, he brings us out of Bethsaida so that our will will conform to his. And we will begin to see what he sees and begin to see the way he sees. And the scripture says, when I delight myself in the Lord and become pliable in, it, in his hands, I become like putty. For those of you who are parents, you can relate to this. Uh, we're, we're, when your kids were young, uh, you'd come in the room. And I don't know about you, both of my kids love Tickle Monster, right? And he come in the room and he started to tickle your kids. And Levi especially. Guess what Levi would say? Do it again, daddy. And you tickle him some more. He said, do it again. You tickle him some more. Do it again. About an hour and a half later, daddy wore out, man. It's like, I ain't got no more tickle left in me. But what was that about? Levi began to delight in something I initiated. That's what happens when we delight ourselves in the Lord. God is doing something. He's molding us. He's tickling us. And when we delight ourselves in the Lord, we want him to do it again. Because our will begins to conform to his will. Are y'all with me? And so this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Are y'all there? It might be James chapter 3. James chapter 3. It is 4? How you know it's 4? Look at that. You go, girl. That is James chapter 4. But that's not where I want to go. You get an A for effort, though. You do. You are paying attention. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. And this is where I close. Talking about conforming our will to the will of God. And that's part of the season that we're in, right? 2020 vision where he wants you and me to see what he sees. Where he begins to, this exchange of what I want for what he wants, for what he desired from the beginning. Remember we talked about that, Jeremiah 29, 11? He says, for I know the plans I have for you. He already decided it. Part of coming into that place of isolation is so that what I want can align with what he's already decided. So notice what he says in James chapter 3, verse 17. James chapter 3, verse 17. This is what our lives begin to look like. This is what our desires begin to look like. This is what our plans begin to look like. Remember, he said, if we will delight ourselves in him, then he will give us the desires of your heart. How do I know that I've been in a season of isolation and that God is molding and making me when I begin to pray different prayers than I've prayed in the past? 
when my prayers are no longer self-centered or self-absorbed, but when my prayers sound something like this, God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. That's how I know that I'm learning the lessons of isolation. Notice what the, the chapter, the, 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 the writer here says here in James chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. James 3, 13. I'm sorry, James 3, 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy, listen, listen, listen. If you have bitter envy, this is Bethsaida. This is what Bethsaida will do to you. Bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Verse 15 says, this kind of wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly, it is sensual, and it is demonic. Notice what he's saying. He's saying if our asking, if our asking is motivated by envy and self-seeking, you're going to be asking God and you're going to be pursuing things that come from a wisdom that is not from above. Listen to me. Listen to me. This is a filter of wisdom. I'm going to help somebody here. This is how I know that my prayers and my heart is conformed to what God wants. If I look at my prayers, if I look at my prayers and my pursuits, and they are motivated and driven and informed by envy and self-seeking, it is not the wisdom of God. Verse 15 says, this wisdom does not descend from above. Listen, but it is earthly, it is sensual, and it is demonic. Y'all see that? That's why he says, begin to delight yourself in me again. Because the things you want, they don't line up with what I want for you. Because everything you want is motivated by your envy. And everything you want is motivated by your selfishness. And it doesn't come from the wisdom that's from above. But notice what he says. Notice what he says. Verse 16. Here's the second reason. He says, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are. Does it seem like your Bethsaida is full of confusion and full of mess? could be because of this right here. But here it is. This is where I close. Did I say that already? That's my second closing. But here it is, verse 17. This is how you know, this is how you know, this is how you know that you're pliable in the hands of the potter. Here it is. But the wisdom that is from above, the wisdom that is from above is first of all, pure. I've given you seven filters now to help you get clarity about the decisions you're going to make. I'm talking about 2020 vision and the wisdom of God concerning your choices going forward. Number one, the wisdom that comes from God, the wisdom you and I receive from God when we become pliable in his hands and we begin to delight ourselves in his, in his, in his plan and his purpose. Number one, the wisdom of God is pure. That means any decision, any choice, any action you pursue that doesn't have pure motives is not from God. 
and will not produce the desired outcome. Because when I delight myself in God, the wisdom that he gives me and the desires that he gives me are first of all pure. Are y'all listening to me? The first filter of our decision making is my motive pure. Here it is. Number two, is it peaceable? Is my decision, is my desire, is my plan something that will produce peace or disruption? Number three, is it gentle? Number four, is it willing to yield? Most of us get stuck right there because we're so unwilling to yield to God's way. We insist on it being our way. And the reason I call this message tap out, I don't even have time to get into it. But remember the guy named Jacob? That Jacob wrestled all night with, the, to, with God till the breaking of day? He was unwilling to yield. And the whole time God was trying to move him from being Jacob, someone that everybody had seen as a deceiver into Israel, a man who has peace with God and prevails. But so many times, God is at work in our hearts, but we're unwilling to yield. Let me tell you about the decisions, the way we get 2020 vision about the will of God, about the plan of God. It's here again, number five. Is it full of mercy? Is it full of mercy? How do I know I'm making a wise decision? My decisions will be full of mercy. Number six, it'll be full of good fruit. Number seven, it will be without partiality. And number eight, it will be without hypocrisy. How do I know that my plans and my prayers are being conformed to what God wants? It's going to have, it's going to pass those seven tests, those seven filters. And as I begin to walk in that, I can trust that I have 20-20 vision about all of my decisions and all of my choices. And I know that I'm walking in the will of God. Here's my final verse, Psalm 32 and verse 8. Psalm 32 and verse 8. And this is the promise that we have from God. When we yield ourselves to what he's doing, the promise that we have is found in Psalm 32 and verse 8. This is what God promises that he will do for you and for me. And he can go ahead and begin playing. God says, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way that you should go. And I will guide you with my eye. What does that mean? God is saying when we allow ourselves to begin to delight in him again, that he will guide us with his vision. He will guide us with his perspective so that what we begin to see is what he sees because we begin to see from his vantage 
point. Down here, as we begin to pursue what we want, our vision is limited. But he says when we begin to delight ourselves in him and he begins to give us the desires of our heart, he then will begin to instruct us and he will begin to guide us with his eye. So, Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I pray for everyone. Under- we hope you enjoyed today's message. For more details about City Church and for other resources, visit us online at www.citychurchtv.com or contact us via email at info at If you were encouraged or inspired by today's message, we ask that you prayerfully consider partnering with us financially, either in a one-time gift or as a monthly partner. No gift is too small. We have three convenient ways for you to give. Via our website at citychurchtv.com backslash give. Via text, text citychurchtv and the amount that you would like to give to 77977. By mail, mail your check or money order to City Church Global Ministries, 8105 Razor Boulevard, Box 90, Plano, Texas, 75024. Once again, thank you for downloading today's message. We look forward to connecting with you soon.